Hello and welcome to Digfin Vox, the voices of digital finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. Before we get into it, please like the channel, subscribe, leave a comment. These all bring traffic to the site. And we'd love to hear what you have to say about this interview, which is with Navin Suri, co-founder and CEO of Percipient, a Singapore-based artificial intelligence fintech whose mission is to help financial institutions do a better job of digital transformation. But my question really is, what is digital transformation? Where are we with this thing which has been going on for years now? And what does it mean, especially in the era post-COVID? What's happening with banking digital transformation? Bank digital transformation, uh, it, it, from my perspective, is going as slow as uh, it, it has been in the past. I think it's been, uh, I think banks have tried to digitalize things which were already digital. And, you know, they started to call them and add them to the count of digital. What, what do you um, mean by their, what do you, what do you mean by trying to digitize things that are already digital? What, what does that mean? So, uh, I mean, uh, you know, without taking names, I do, get, you know, the many banks who are saying, you know, 80% of our customer interface is now digital. And, mm -hmm. you know, underlying that is IVR and ATM transactions and mobile transactions and mobile logins. And that was already there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, that's not new. I mean, you've sort of given it a new name. Um, you know, it, it's like, you know, you talk about buying things which are more environmentally friendly. Uh, well, you know, many of these things already existed. So, mm -hmm. you know, to say that, look, I'm 10% environmentally friendly, it, it's not that you've become 40% environmentally friendly. You're still buying the same thing, but just calling it because now you can tabulate it under a new head. Yeah. So what do you think when banks are talking about digital transformation, what do you think um, there's the, the marketing side and then there's the actual side where they need to compete? So what, what do you think is, is there, do you see a difference in those two things? Um, I, I think yes. I think there are there are differences there. Um, on on the marketing side, uh, I, I mean, you know, digital transformation as a set of words, as a set of two words, is what cloud was, I think, three years ago, and what big data was five years ago. Uh, so you know, you now have digital transformation, which is at that phase where I think this fad, if I may, will last maybe another couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, on the actual side, on the actual side, I think um, banks still struggle with being able to uh, access all their own data. Okay. Um, they sit on a variety of disparate legacy systems. They can't get rid of them. Uh, you know, people are trying to bring in uh, new core banking systems for incremental functionalities that they're adding uh, because the legacy is so huge and it's so embedded and is so difficult to change that they have to find uh, either a whole new way of doing things or make some small incremental changes. And, uh, you know, there was this McKinsey report, which I often talk about, uh, that came out about a year and a half back, and I can send that to you, which, which said, um, you know, for a mid-sized bank to do digital transformation, uh, it's likely to take between 50 to $100 million and anywhere between three to five years. 
and that's long and you know by which time the whole world passes you by so uh, i i think the world is due for a refresh in how digital transformation itself is is approached and uh, i'm not trying to fit in what we do there but i really think that it's been long since something fresh came to the market yeah i, I mean i want to get to that and what what percipient is doing um but just to, to go back on this point with the banks themselves or other big financial institutions um you know they've been putting you know pulling together data lakes um they're moving much more to the cloud uh there's plenty of vendors out there trying to help uh, aggregate data or uh, allow banks to, to use it more nimbly. Uh, how far along are they? I mean, I hear about this all the time from, from banks and their vendors. Um, in your opinion, based on your experience talking to banks, uh, you know, is it sort of, we got our warehouse problem solved and now we can move on to some something else or, uh, or people like to say things and maybe it's not exactly 100% what's going on? Yeah, so I, I, I think a data warehouse problems got solved Okay. But but a lake house problem has gotten invented. Let's put it that way. So data warehouses gave way to data lakes. Mm -hmm. And now I think we have lake houses, uh, which is more complex than just having either one of them. So what's uh, a lake house? <laughs> so it's a combination of you're sitting with the data warehouse and you're sitting with your data lake. And, um, you know, so, so when Hadoop came along, you know, uh, several years ago and people migrated to these data lakes, uh, they figured uh, now, which is once they wanted to scale it up, uh, it sort of was not allowing them to scale at the way they expected it to. It, it got, some, got some costs out, but it did not uh, allow for the scalability of, uh, you know, the integration of all the data that banks wanted to put in there. Uh, so that's been a, a, a big problem. And from a, a growth perspective, I think cloud per se is the way to go. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and everyone talks about it and, and rightly so, I think it's absolutely spot on. So, you know, whether this is private or hybrid or just public clouds, um, uh, banks have moved towards adopting cloud for, uh, you know, bringing down their costs and bringing some, uh, but, but migration is a big challenge. So, uh, you know, we're talking to a major core bank provider in the US, for example, who've built uh, a new digital core banking platform, and they have several hundred uh, installations of their legacy core banking in banks in the US. And they don't have a bridge between the two. So they want to take their new modern banking system, uh, new, new age modern, uh, core digital to their existing customers. And they are saying, how do I bridge between the two? You know, my data is so disparately uh, distributed. So I think that problem is still there. You, you said to me once that you're trying to change the way banks, banks change. change. Yeah, so uh, just tell me a little bit about why you founded Percipient AI and, um, and and how you do that. Yeah, so we're a bunch of bankers, uh, Jamie, and uh, we've experienced the problem of launching digital products, launching digital customer experiences, digital partnerships firsthand mm -hmm. in our lives back when we were all in city. And, you know, I'm talking five years ago. And uh, uh, we launched our first product, which enabled banks to just basically integrate all their data, whether it's structured, unstructured, et cetera. 
But over the last two years, we've picked up on the need to reinvent how digital transformation is done at financial institutions. And uh, the way we've attempted to solve it is using our real domain expertise, having done digital transformation back in city about 150 times in 40 countries across all products, you know, cards, loans, data warehouses, open banking, mobile, uh, uh, credit cards, and, and all of that. And what we've uh, found is, uh, a new way where we can actually decouple the legacy systems that a bank typically owns. And those legacy systems are holding the bank back from going digital uh, at the front end with the customer. Uh, and inventing a middleware, mm -hmm. which is something we call a digital twin. Right. So you have legacy systems um, and we'll help you create a digital twin which is effectively capable of working like a core bank platform uh, without actually being heavy as a core bank and can then allow you at the front to do anything that you want. So the way we do this is uh, we've taken uh, the digital twin technology, which uh, Jamie has existed. Sorry, you're going to say something? No, I, I, please go ahead. I, I remember uh, you, you once gave me an analogy to, to Tesla about this, which I thought was sort of an that's, interesting way to understand. Yes, yes that's correct. So what we've done is, so you've got a bunch of uh, core banking systems. Uh, typically, banks have between three to five different product processors. Uh, you know, one calls customer SCUSTOMER, the other calls SCM, the other third calls SCUST, let's say. Now, the way uh, the twin uh, makes that simpler is we do a one-time mapping of the way your data is existing in different product processors into a common data model. This is not a data warehouse. This is just a common data model. It's just the structure of the data that exists in your individual systems, which is normalized to one language, to one common structure. And this then becomes the base, based of which you can actually launch any AI machine learning based analytical outcomes. You can fire up reports and dashboards. You can fire up mobile applications. On the top of this, we have now pre-built a library of about 80 APIs and we are heading towards 300, which will allow banks, especially in tier two, tier three, tier four segments who struggle with the talent, who struggle with the money, who struggle with the time to go digital to actually pick these uh, APIs and be able to construct customer products, which are digital, customer experiences, which are digital rapidly. So you can uh, go digital without modernizing your legacy systems. And that's what we've enabled. Um, you know, this costs 1 15th, 1 20th of what it would cost otherwise. And it, uh, the time it takes is between eight to 12 weeks to be fully digital and up and running. What, what do you think that artificial intelligence, broadly speaking, is going to be able to do for financial services? Where, where do you see the industry being able to, to move with, with these new tools and, and capabilities? Yeah, so I, I personally quite like uh, a word that I heard somewhere where that it's not artificial intelligence, it's augmented intelligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is that, you know, there's something that you know already and, the, you know, this 
method of analyzing data in a very scaled way, in a very real-time way, which is fed into an algorithm, is really helping you augment your decision. So I think uh, uh, there will be more personalization for customers. Uh, and I'm talking on the retail side and the consumer side, clearly. Uh, a lot more personalization. I, 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 I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, I, I bank with three major banks uh, in, in the world, so to say, uh, both on the corporate side and on the retail side. Uh, and I still don't even get a text message uh, which says, hey, you are near a Starbucks and can we give you a 20% off if you walk in because you're our customer. Even that level of uh, uh, intelligence has not yet been uh, used by the biggest banks. So I think the headroom for AI starts from the basics. Then these are things that we hear in conferences that you know, we're now being able to tell you uh, when is it that, uh, you know, where you are and based on the context of that, we can actually give you recommendations of what you should be doing. But it, the practice of that is not there at all. So. And why, why do you think that's the case? This technology isn't new. So what's- Yeah, what's the technology the is not new. I, I, I think there are, there are uh, primarily three reasons, if I may. One, I think, is that uh, the knowledge to do these sort of things uh, does not really exist inside financial institutions. When I say knowledge, you know, the ability to develop these models, the uh, ability to test these models, it, it doesn't really exist inside organizations. It, typically exists outside, uh, which is the fintechs and the AI companies. And the ability for these companies which are outside to have built algorithms which can really scale uh, is not there by themselves until they get some first two, three, four banks who are willing to test them and give them an opportunity. So I think it breaks down there where in-house the, the, the talent is not sufficient it's available outside, but it's not scaled. So you typically find that, you know, uh, fintechs or AI companies struggle uh, and to, to be able to go, go into banks. So, and, and the bars that banks have that you must have 10 paying customers and you must have, uh, you know, 20 installations are so high that uh, they, they fall apart. So I think that yeah. is a very big reason. Do you see that changing? Because when I speak these more recently with people at large financial institutions, banks, insurers, what have you, you know, they they seem to say that uh, that the process is getting easier. They're trying to be faster and a little more flexible working with uh, fintech partners. Do you think that's true in reality? Um, I, I'm going to be provocative here and say, for the most part, no. Mm. For a small part, yes. And and I. I personally think that the uh, you know innovation teams and digital teams were a good first step that was taken, but but that system that 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 vertical sort of that was created, which was sort of a microcosm of the big body, the dinghy behind the big ship, which could really do what it wanted to, I think has sort of outlived its relevance, and uh, it uh, and and that 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 change that this system was going to provide in the. Uh, speed at which uh, financial institutions adopt uh, new solutions has not fully, fully been uh, achieved. At the same time, at the CEO level, there is a little bit of uh, belief that, look, I need to change. So very often I believe that 
the problem actually is at the top. Mm. Uh, you know, it's less so at the middle, even less so uh, at the bottom. And uh, I think there is a need for, uh, and, and banks where the top has taken control uh, to say, look, we want to change. And a classic example, all of us, at least in Singapore, are very proud of, for example, is DBS. And, you know, they won all the, they started this as a very cultural thing and, you know, root brought it down and we've heard them talk about we're a 20,000 man startup. Uh, so I think the problem is at the top. Uh, the problem is also at the procurement side with banks where their requirements are very high, the, the barriers are very high, their interest is there, the intention is there, uh, but the execution suffers. Okay. Do you see that um, that will change as banks have to deal with, say, virtual banks or neobanks that are coming online uh, in, in Asia and, and worldwide, uh, or from you know, protect even say the the crypto space where we're seeing you know the the potential for different types of of financial institutions or arrangements. Uh, will will these spur faster change at banks, or will they just say, well, we've got a lot of customers, we've got a lot of data, uh, we're regulated, um, and and they'll just sort of you know they'll be the big brontosauruses that are just kind of you know lumbering through the jungle. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's it's an excellent point there. So. I think there are four things happening uh, for banks. One, of course, is you know COVID's pull digital forward by anywhere between two to three years, uh, if not if not more, for banks. And everyone, uh, first half of last year was caught off guard. Second is clearly fintechs are eating away, throwing away at the low hanging fruit, the robo advisors, the payments, the insurance. The third is you've got these big tech coming in. So Google's launched Google Plex, and I think it's a Trojan that the banks are letting in, uh, which they will, they will have to unwind out of maybe a five, eight, 10 years from now. And the, and the last thing is that you've got all of these neobanks that are coming in. So, and you know, if you see this sort of dark clouds uh, approaching from all four sides uh, for existing uh, banks incumbents, it's quite a challenge. So. I absolutely see that turning digital uh, really quickly overall else. It, it is a board level KPI now for the board itself and of course for the CEO to do more and more things which are digital. Speed will be still an issue. Right. Uh, I think they will, they, will, they will lag. But we did see banks last year with COVID in March and April make some pretty fundamental transformations uh, you, you know, I mean, they, it wasn't a choice at that stage, right? Uh, COVID was the, the chief digital officer that nobody wanted, but maybe everybody needed. Um, and, uh, you know, trading floors distributed across, you know, homes, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, customer engagement, team working, everything is, has, has changed. And I'm sure a lot of that will, will remain permanent. So did that to you prove that banks do have the capacity to make, you know, pretty bold changes and that they just, and this will now continue. They, you know, they've got the wind behind their backs. They've they've proven they can do it, or or was it a one-off? It was an emergency. They did the they did absolutely what they had to do to keep the markets going and business going. But you know, as we return to business as usual, it'll also be be a sort of a, a transformational business as usual pace as well. I think it's a structural fundamental reset. Okay. Uh, what what COVID has done? It's a structural fundamental reset, and but the banks that will uh, be fast to the draw, you know, the fastest finger first, which means that 
you know, it's not about fixing that my employees can work from home and, you know, I've got all my systems set up for that, but it's that there is a reset happening. How quickly can I make these changes is, is, is going to decide the winners and losers. And, and, and the, the results will be visible, I think, in, in the next two to three years itself. So, uh, but banks, uh, you're absolutely right. You know, COVID was the chief digital officer that everyone wanted. And I love that statement because it is absolutely what it, and in fact, it's for most industries, not just for banking. Um, so yeah, agree yeah. with that. Last thing I want to uh, ask you about, uh, Navin, is uh, in Singapore, you are a, I guess, a, a provider on the API exchange marketplace. Um, is that working? Um, so this was set up uh, in sponsorship by the, the MAS and the ASEAN Bankers Association and the IFC from the, the World Bank Group um, and developed this platform basically to have uh, fintechs, global fintechs that could market their, their services uh, to um, banks or financial institutions in emerging markets where they don't have the scale, they don't have the ability to, to, to pay big tickets to vendors and so on. Uh, is that program catching pace? Are we seeing results coming out of that? Yeah, thanks for asking on, on Apex. It, it absolutely is, uh, Jamie. And um, I think as, as, as a team that's working on that platform, uh, we're quite amazed. And let me share some numbers here with you so that you know, it, it puts some context. So the platform now has, uh, and you know, in 2018 uh, at the FinTech Festival, when this was launched, you know, it was just two years, uh, literally, or two and a half years ago. Uh, it was an experiment which was funded to see whether we can simplify how fintechs and financial institutions collaborate with each other. Uh, it took a year for the platform to be actually developed. It was really launched at the next fintech festival, which is in uh, uh, 2019. And it's been really in production for about a year, uh, plus three or four months. There are about 400 fintechs on the platform. Uh, uh, a little over 60 financial institutions. These fintechs are providing solutions in over 50 categories. And they collectively come from a little over 30 countries. Hmm. So the numbers are very compelling. Uh, COVID uh, made Apex very relevant because you know both sides didn't know how do we get in touch with each other because you can meet each other physically any, and, uh, again. So I think that came in as tailwinds which were not expected. Uh, Apex launched a virtual hackathon platform literally built in 60 days uh, in May of last year. You know, in February, we sat down and we said, look, this is breaking down. Uh, nobody will be able to meet. What do we do? We said, let's launch a hackathon platform, build it from scratch virtually. Now, uh, we've done, I think, about 13 hackathons on the platform in the last five or six months uh, from the biggest names. So, you know, you've got the Bank of International Settlements, you've got NPCI from India, you've got Time Bank, uh, who's done stuff, you've got UN multilateral agencies, and each of them have posted two or three problem statements for which they're looking for solutions, and they've been inundated via the Apex platform with anywhere between 100 to 400 solution providers saying, I can solve it for you. And all of it via the Apex platform. Okay. So I think it's been an incredible uh, platform. The timing of it originally wasn't meant to be as good as it turned out to be given what COVID uh, forced the world into. Yeah, okay, great. 
Well, uh, Navin, thanks for your time uh, and uh, good luck with helping financial institutions uh, find their digital mojo. Thank you very much, Jamie. Thank you for having me on your platform and good luck.